Entertainment's podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Good day. For those of you who don't know, the subscription economy has grown more than 435% in the last nine years. And UK residents spend on average 2 billion on subscription box services every year, which is quite an astounding figure. I'm Jacqueline Powell, Head of Corporate Marketing for Global Communications and Content at Bottomline. And I'm the host of today's podcast recording. Today, I'm joined by John Rushton, who is the GM for Bottomline Payment Services. Welcome, John, and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jackie. Great to be here. It's always a pleasure to have you um, on our channel. So kicking off, uh, could you tell me and our listeners a little bit more about what it is you do? Sure, Jackie. So um, BPS is a part of Bottomline that's here to help businesses get access to direct debit. Um, direct debit is a fantastic tool for subscription um, collections. Um, it's one of these things that actually is sometimes challenging for businesses, particularly smaller businesses or owner-operated businesses, to get access to. And that's really where we can help. That's great. So, John, do you think it's then time for every business to start considering a subscription model? Partially. I think the thing I would say is subscription models are fantastic. And, and certainly as you, you know, roll forward across the years, a lot of businesses will have an element of subscription in their business model. But it's not universal. Um, I think it's not actually applicable to every type of business or every type of transaction. It's, it's about a blend for me. And, and it's something that you've got to consider but there are considerations about how you implement subscription models and integrate those into your business models for sure i hear what you're saying so what kind of considerations are we talking about here so it's it's a really interesting one so it it can be actually quite complex there's an inherent balance um to get a subscription model right i think that there are some pitfalls um that you need to watch out for, particularly around legislation or regulation and, and, and who you deal with as your primary focus of your business. Um, and that actually reminds me, um, yeah, I, I'm going to talk a bit about this, but just a quick disclaimer. You know, this podcast yeah, is my opinions, so it's for general information purposes only. I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a scheme operator, and I'm certainly not a regulator. So I've got lots of experience, um, 20 plus years in dealing in this space and, and helping uh, lots of businesses get access. Um, and we're going to talk a bit about subscription models, but this isn't legal advice. It's not a substitute for legal advice, um, but it is my views. So I think the thing that I would say is the basic premise of a subscription model is that your your business gets a more constant stream of revenue. And, it, and generally that stream of revenue is greater than a one-time purchase, a, a non-recurring model. So so where people just come in and buy things on occasion. Um, you'll hear a term if you, if you look in the industry about average customer lifetime value. So this is a, a, a lovely acronym that means that, that the total amount you get from your customer is greater in a subscription model than you would see in other models. Yeah, um, And the customer additional value, well, that could be perceived. That could be you know, them bringing you more custom. Um, that could be them recommending to other people. That could be customer loyalty. It could be a number of things. Or it could be quantified. It could be just hard cash. They're bringing you hard cash. But for me, it's that balance. What I mean when I say it is it's all about that win-win. There's something in it for you. You get more. And there's something in it for the customer in that they feel like they're getting more. That's the, the secret of these models, that win-win. That certainly sounds um, hugely uh, attractive and I love the idea of win-win 
Um, but do you think you could explain a little on what you mean by win-win in this context? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's probably best explained with a, a few examples. I, I love analogies and examples. And, 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 and without naming names, um, there's a great example in the industry about an aircraft engine manufacturer uh, many years ago who, who looked at their business. So their, their business was selling jet engines to, to stick on airplanes. When you buy an airplane, you typically buy the engine separately because you have a preference for the type of engines that you put on your airplane if you're a, a commercial airline operator. And they were doing well. They're the world-leading engine manufacturer, and they were selling lots of these engines in big boxes to these to these aircraft uh, operators. Um, but they were selling those engines, and then they were selling the parts, and then they were selling the, man the, the servicing, and then they were selling the mechanics hours, and they were selling everything piecemeal. So they actually took a huge step, and, and it was a, a really step change for them, um, which is actually they moved their model to a subscription model. So they actually said to the airlines, because they recognized that managing all of the, this complexity around their engines is complex, they said, we're going to move to a model where we're going to charge you based on how many hours of flying you want. So we're not going to sell you an engine. We're not going to sell you lots of parts. We're not going to sell you mechanics and service plans and everything else. We're going to sell you hours of flying. Um, now, this is interesting because it's simpler because it's a B2B model. They're, they're selling to firms and they absolutely understood their costs. Yeah. But the win-win was for them. Well, well, they're now getting a constant stream of revenue. So, so they're getting a effectively a, a better stream of revenue. But the win, most importantly for the airlines, is that they don't have to um, maintain separate mechanics, aircraft plans, parts, systems to manage it, warehouses full of different bits, all of that 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 sort of um, accompaniment to the actual jet engine, they don't have to worry about that. The manufacturer takes care of it. So it's simple for the aircraft operator. So actually, the aircraft engine manufacturer was getting more than the, the slice they were getting before because they're solving a headache that costs money for the airline to maintain. That's the win-win. Win for the manufacturer, win for the airline operator. And it's the same in, in other industries. So, so outside of you know, the big jet engines, box delivery companies. Yeah, so, so you've seen these meal boxes, food boxes, golf boxes, whatever else. Particularly things like food boxes, the win-win is time and cost. So what you're saving is, the t is actually the delivery box is delivering a prepackaged meal selection. It's giving you, taking out the element of planning, the time, not all of the prep, but, but taking out a lot of the shopping and the going shops, everything else. So the win-win is that you're having to put less into actually preparing those meals. So the win for the consumer is that, that they get something that's simple. And the win for the box delivery companies, they're getting, they're getting more money. They're getting more than you, you know, it would cost somebody to go out to the shops because it's saving the time and energy. It's the same in, 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 in lots of other vehicles. So, yeah, so cinema passes. Now, this is a tricky one because it, there's a balance of making it profitable for both parties. But movie passes, right? Instead of going to the cinema and paying, you know, once, twice, three times a month when you go to the cinema, now that we're allowed to go back to the cinema, um, yeah, movie passes, subscriptions, pay £30 a month and see as many movies as you like. It's a win-win because in the rounds, and this is a, a scale model, most people might only go and see a movie once, twice a month. So paying £30 a month to see unlimited movies, well, it's great because the perception of the customer 
perception, and that's the most important thing, is they can see unlimited movies. They might actually only go twice a month. And so the win-win balance there is the consumer thinks they're getting unlimited. The actual cinema chain is getting slightly more revenue than they would from the one or two visits a month that most people actually do on average. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I know um, I'm one of the box delivery people uh, for, for food and um, I'd certainly see the benefit in that. So, yes, thanks for outlining that, John. Um, so it's really um, for the businesses then, it's all about more regular or increased revenue for them, is it not? Well, kind of. But I, I think it, I'd say it's only when you get that value equation right. It's back to this balance. Um so done right, it can, yes, increase revenue. Um, it can increase customer retention, so how long a customer stays with you. And it can actually turn them into an attractor because they feel like they're getting more for their money. So they'll tell other people. So so it actually it, it starts to spiral. You start to get that growth phase. But yeah, it has to be done right. There has to be that balance. It can't be all tipped in your favor yeah, because the customer will feel exploited. And it can't be all in their favor because, frankly, your business model is wrong there and you, and you will go bust, frankly. So so I think that, import, that thing is important, that balance. So done wrong, I think the, the thing I would say, it actually almost makes the customer feel like, I, I call it like a money shake, like they're, they're just there to be sipped on by the company. You know, the best example I can give you is something imaginary, right? So, so imagine I've got a, a new product. So I've invented a internet-enabled padlock, let me say, for, you know, for locking up your bike, your van, your garage, you know, important goods to you. It's brilliant, right? So you can unlock it from your smartphone if somebody else needs to get access to it. Brilliant, brilliant idea, right? So I've invented these. Um, but what I've decided is I'm going to sell the lock, but I'm going to have a, a care subscription on top of it yeah so i'm going to charge two pounds a month for lock maintenance and i'm going to make it so that so these gears so customers almost have to have that lock maintenance because if they don't pay the two pound a month the lock will unlock great idea right guarantees me almost every purchaser of my internet connected smart lock will have uh, a maintenance subscription brilliant Guaranteed income in ongoing revenue for my company. Terrible customer experience. Customers will hate it because effectively you are holding their valuables hostage. Yeah, You're saying, unless you pay me this extra money, I'm going to negate the basic purpose of this product, which is to be a padlock. Yeah, So that's, that's an example where that would be absolutely crazy to have that model. Now, you could add added value features. So you could add things like instead of your lot maintenance could be ongoing tracking, GPS tracking of where the lock is, states reporting back. That might be as an optional feature, something that you want to do, but don't force it. Don't paywall features. Yeah, so don't don't force customers to take things that they could naturally expect to be an inherent part of the product that that, that they've bought. Yeah, and I think it's really important because yeah, you know, I talk a lot about consumer space. Yeah, you know, consumers in the UK. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of consumer protection law out there, but actually consumers generally are becoming pretty savvy, right? As as the time marches on, um, they've always been well present, um, supported by consumer protection law in the UK, but they are actively making choices. They can see through these things that make them feel like they're being exploited. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. I think consumers are certainly more savvy um, these days. Uh, when you talk about sort of consumer protection, etc., is this going back to... The legislation and regulation that you mentioned. 
Yeah, absolutely. So it, I think one of the core things on, on when you're looking at models is they can be very different depending on who you're dealing with. So whether you're dealing with businesses or the general public or consumers, as they're often called in legislation. Um, I think it's it's pretty much accepted so in the eyes of the regulators and the law that businesses are considered you know well-informed or experienced buyers. Um, very generally, by a matter of course, you know, their businesses businesses extend credit terms to each other their invoice payment terms so you'll be 30 days credit 60 day credit on between actually delivering goods and, and having payment on invoice so consequently the the legislation the regulation is relatively straightforward there are things you need to look out for so things like prompt payment code um and 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 general day-to-day -day business dealings but dealing with consumers well I think the, the the balance is tipped the other way. So it's not assumed that there's a spectrum of maturity or knowledge there. Um, yeah, and consequently, it's, it's very much seen as the job of the government to protect the consumer from misleading, unfair, sharp or unsavory practices. Um, and consequently, the UK probably across the world has one of the strongest consumer protection regimes. So going from trading standards to rules and, and, and regulations that you have to follow. So quality of goods and services, that's trading standards, regulations on the way goods are bought or sold online, um, consumer credit, financial credit. These are all considerations that are there for consumer protection. Thanks, John. That's a great reminder uh, around consumer protection. So. In your mind, what are some of the key things for our listeners to be aware of when dealing with the general public then? Sure. Well, well, there's, there's, there's regulations that don't just apply to, to subscriptions. So there, there's general business practices, so things like distance selling. So distance selling is extra rules for selling at a distance over the phone or online or digital services. It's things that, that most businesses would consider common sense, um, that there's just things you have to do so things around rights to cancel making sure you confirm any contract that an individual's engaging to at a distance and there are some rules as well for things like accepting returns or refunds but there's also more specifically for subscription models things that you need to think about so particularly i'd say like when you're designing a subscription model a key consideration is the consumer credit act we can't cover every facet of the act today, um, but I just want to touch on a couple of key parts that are really important. So one of the things I'd, I'd always call out is looking at if you're thinking about implementing a subscription model, it's important to think about what you're delivering, if it's a service or if it's goods. So delivering goods on subscription physical goods it can be tempting to think of well well yeah let, let's take a another example right so you're you're delivering a um a car well okay that's easy so i'm gonna, just going to make it easy i'm just going to have the customer pay for it in installments i'll just slice it up yeah i'll just have them pay for it at a, at a pounds per month that can be quite complex in the eyes of consumer credit because actually when it comes to physical goods unlike services somebody has to own the goods right so there's always a concept of ownership. So so if the consumer's got possession of the goods, but the supplier owns the goods, then it's not necessarily straightforward. It's, it could be what's called a bailment or a hire. And actually, you know, if, if you put it in context, right, when you go and buy a car, often you're given a few options, one of them being hire purchase. 
Yeah. If you think about what it is, it's hire and then purchase. It's an option to hire the car for a fixed period of time and then a final payment to purchase it. If you look at who you're buying it from when you buy a car on hire purchase, it's from generally an affiliated financial services company so you'll have the car manufacturer and then you'll you'll sign an hp agreement with the the whatever the car manufacturer is financial services arm yeah that's because the the financial services aspect the higher agreement is regulated so they've got a separate company that's going out and dealing with that aspect of the sale the other side of it is, is equally you know, if the customer owns the goods from day one but makes regular payments for them and will be chased for any debt, and the goods might be more expensive because there's interest being applied, then all of a sudden that's not installments. That's actually a credit agreement. You're extending that consumer a line of credit. Now, hire and credit are things that are regulated. They're, they're governed by the Consumer Credit Act. You have to go and get some, some permission to do that. You get that from the Financial Conduct Authority. It is non-trivial to go and um, to get... Um, approval to go and do consumer credit is not something that that is terrifyingly complex and if it's right for your business it's something that you should look at but you should think carefully and not go blindly into those types of models there's a great article actually online um if you get a chance um, anybody listening from um, a legal firm called osborne clark just google for subscriptions and finance are you playing by the rules thanks john that's interesting and um it's just not as straightforward as we'd like to to imagine that it is and lots of considerations to be taken into account. So thank you. Could you give um, an example of of sort of the subscription um, sort of models in a little bit more detail? Yeah, sure. So, so, so I think, yeah, bringing it back from these abstracts of like big car manufacturers, I think probably the the most interesting one for me is is things like clubs. So particular example, um, it's close to my heart, played a bit of golf. So golf clubs. Golf clubs are great um, as, a, as a potted example of some of the considerations you have to make because they are, they are relatively expensive in terms of memberships that you generally pay annually. So there's something that, that lends itself towards um, potentially being spread across a year. So it may be simple. In, in concept, so you know, you think that you have a golf club membership. It's let's say it's one thousand two hundred pounds a year that you will split it into monthly payments. So monthly payments could be hundred pound a month. So that is absolutely allowed under the FCA, right? That that's what's called instalments. So there's actually a, an ex FCA exemption for these types of agreements, where if you take a one thousand two hundred pound subscription, split it into hundred pounds a month, and have it um, monthly across 12 months then you're you're doing what's called paying by installment and there's an exemption for uh, for installment agreements from the fca that's been in place since 2015 which means you don't have to go and get regulated but these agreements can only be 12 months they can only be a fixed amount and they can offer no interest or other charges on top of them if you go outside of those 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 parameters then you're into a different world where it might need to be a credit agreement and that's the temptation for a lot of these clubs in that they may see that they may need to apply extra fees to cover the cost of the administration and the charges that are involved in collecting um, 12 installments yeah um, in terms of governing it they, if they you apply those fees that's where it can tip you into offering credit yeah. um, and that does need to be regulated 
an alternative for clubs might be to offer a true subscription membership. So this is a monthly payment where you pay for that month. So you pay £100 per month for access to the club and fee and greens and everything else for that £100 in that month. The difference there is actually whether it is actually the 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 totality so in a model where you're splitting a 1200 pound membership across a year if you stopped paying then from the club size you still owe the rest of that membership so that's why it comes back to that extending credit if it was a if it was an actually actually a monthly golf subscription if you stop paying your 100 pound in that month we just don't have access to the golf club anymore so it's literally a monthly golf subscription so it also comes back into where if you want to do things like a monthly golf subscription, then themselves are not without other considerations. So particularly things like payment surcharges. So you've got the Consumer Credit Act, um, which you have to think about in terms of credit, and you've also got surcharges. Um, there's lots of guides to payment surcharge regulations. So uh, Trading Standards Institute have lots of advice if you go and have a look at payment surcharges. But this is to stop penalizing people for using one method of payment um, over another. So the thing I'd say of note is that restrictions on payment charges, restrictions only apply to a certain method of payment. So if you prefer or, or if you penalize, sorry, one method of payment over another. So if you say you can you can pay over the counter, but if you pay via direct debit, we're going to charge you an extra you know, two pound, three pound a month. That's the bit where it's seen as a, as a punitive uh, penalty on one payment method and that's what's not allowed yeah so what you can do is you can also as long as you have administrative or booking or other fees that apply across all methods of payment so whether it was cash card um, direct debit over the counter those types of fees that are not punitive in favor of one type of payment are still allowed they fall outside of the regulation yeah so it's just a couple of examples of if you're a, a golf club you can absolutely stay within the rules. There are uh, exemptions in place to do that, or you can actually apply a different type of model, that true monthly golf membership model. Um, but you have to think and you, you have to plan ahead of time. Ignorance is not an excuse in the eyes of the FCA. For sure, and uh, quite understandable. Certainly, there's lots to think about where subscriptions, the rules, and consumers are concerned, John. Thank you. Um, before we close out, is there any parting advice you'd like to share with us? Yeah, sure. I mean, hopefully I've given you a, a, a general introduction today into considerations that you have to think about. There is lots to consider, and especially where you're dealing with consumer models, so dealing with the general public. But don't shy away from it. It's too hard. Subscription models can absolutely transform your business. Um, give you great customer ad advocacy, affinity, and, and a real step forward in your ability to grow. Um, Companies like ourselves can help with direct debit and direct debit and subscriptions go hand in hand within the UK. They're really made for each other because it's a brilliant way to, to collect that regular payment. The thing I would always recommend is talk to people. Talk to us or, or you know, talk to, to, to other people like your bank that can help advise on things. Um, always, if you are unsure, go and seek specialist advice. But my final request would actually be to keep listening to this series. It's here to be informative and educational on the topic. We're going to talk about a lot of other aspects in the coming weeks. Thanks, John. Your insight's been hugely helpful for both me and our listeners. Uh, thank you for joining us today.
Thank you, Jackie. Thank you for having us. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. But if you need any advice or guidance, as John says, please get in touch with us um, or visit our website. For now, it's goodbye and we'll see you next time. The Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.